I know you're counting on the holiday shopping season to bring in substantial sales, but what if you could use that seasonal rush to boost your profit all year round? Capitalize on that wallet-out, ready-to-buy traffic spike by offering subscriptions. It's the easiest way to generate dependable recurring revenue month after month, even after the holidays are over. I know there are a few recurring order apps out there, but my go-to is always Bold Subscriptions. It's the most feature-rich subscription app, yet it's easy to set up, maintain, and most importantly, easy for your customers to use. It's got subscription models for pretty much everybody, like single product, mixed cart, box of the month, build a box, try before you buy, subscribe and save, and more. Now here's the insider info from my friends at Bold. If you want to maximize retention, they've got a feature called Dynamic Discounts. It lets your customers unlock future discounts after a set interval subscription like five months or whatever you set it to. It's a huge churn buster. This year, don't miss out on a chance to keep generating revenue from your Black Friday customers all year long. We're talking about Bold Subscriptions, and you can try it free by visiting boldcommerce.com or searching Bold Subscriptions in the Shopify App Store. What's the number one customer support request you get? I bet it's, hey, where's my order? My friends at Ventov, makers of SEO Meta Manager, have a solution for this. It's called Order Lookup, and it lets customers look up their orders, right, good name, with either their email or order number, reducing the order inquiries you get in your inbox. We use it on our own high-volume Shopify Plus client stores, like Hoonigan and Yvonne Stells to provide real-time order info to customers with a fully customizable order lookup page so you can keep that thing on brand. And hey, if you're a dropshipper, it even works with ePacket. You can get a seven-day free trial when you search order lookup in the App Store. I drove a race car. Yeah, I did. We built. What? Uh, what is it? Like a? It's like a Ferrari? No, I think you know it's not a Ferrari. <laughs> it's a 2003 Lambo? Volkswagen Jetta <laughs> that I bought from a hillbilly in Indiana, an honest to god hillbilly, for three hundred dollars, no bill of sale or title. He was just like, "There you go." Do you need help pushing it on the do- on the the trailer? And my brother-in-law was like, "Let's get out of here before they kill us for your wife's truck." All right, that's not good. So we built this thing for a race. It's called a chump car race. The car can't cost more than five hundred dollars, but then you spend like two grand in safety equipment. And the car, the more absurd, the better. It's like a circus environment. And on the first lap, the first time we attempted this, we car failed, just fell apart. We fixed it two years later. We actually ran it this year. I am so proud. I have always raced in my own car. That's that's very stressful. When you're racing in a heinous piece of garbage against a bunch of other heinous pieces of garbage, wheel-to-wheel, passing, like, full-on real-deal racing where you can hit each other, and you don't care about that car, and you know no one else does either, that is the most fun in the world. I loved it. Despite, in lap three, I disintegrated the clutch, and we spent the rest of day one replacing a clutch in a field in Michigan in 50-degree windy weather. It was horrible. True, the whole, if I described it to you in detail, the entire thing sounds really horrible, but I absolutely loved it. I'm, I'm going again next year, and it's going to cost us thousands more to run this piece of garbage again. I've been with you on this multi-year journey. Yeah. And every year, you tell me about all the work you have to do, 
and then how terrible it is and how your car breaks immediately when you do it after driving several hours and working for months on this. And it really sounds like the worst thing to do ever. You know, I always have a big smile on my face. You, you yeah. truly, and every time you're telling me, I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. And then this year you had a problem finding another person. You were like, hey, you want to come do the lemons race with me? I was like, no, I <laughs> definitely don't. I've been here for years. My mother was like, Kurt's doing that again? She was like, that sounds horrible. I agree that on the surface, this sounds terrible. It is ridiculous fun. I'm doing it again. Your brother-in-law, Mike, was sleeping in a tent at the racetrack? Well, I mean, that's his own idiocy. I stayed at a Holiday Inn. Oh, well, all right. Very pleasant. So uh, one of the the questions we got, we're going to do listener Q&A as usual, but we're doing a deep dive into conversion rate data. Ryan Stinn had asked, when looking at mobile versus desktop conversion rate, what is the expected drop-off on mobile? We have a 5.36% desktop rate and a 2.47% mobile rate. Is this indicative of a problem or fairly standard? And the answer we traditionally give is, hey, we generally expect mobile conversion rate to be half of desktop conversion rate. So if you've got that, you're doing it right. And his was about that. It was five and a third versus two and a half. So a little less than half, but nothing to be concerned about. You went hog wild in the data. You took a deep dive. Tell me about the data you gathered on this. Well, it's funny because a couple months ago, just on my own time, I pulled a bunch of data from our clients and was like... It looks like you took the... You just grabbed the top five biggest. I grabbed the top five biggest in terms of revenue, and they all happen to have like different market segments and different price points. So it was a good look. But yeah. I had done this myself to be like, hey, are there problems I could solve? Like I knew about the mobile problem. It sucks that the number one type of traffic all these stores have is mobile traffic. It blows desktop out of the water on every single one. And the number one type of traffic is also the worst converting type of traffic. So it's like if you could solve that problem... If you could get, if you can get mobile conversion rates at parity with desktop conversion rates somehow, it literally would mean millions of dollars for every single one of these stores on this list. Multiple millions. Multiple millions. Overnight. Overnight, immediately. So it's like, ah, is there anything I could glean from this data? And so then he asked that question this week, and I was like, well, now I really got to break it down. So I did. So I built, made a spreadsheet, and Kurt has it too. Uh, I don't know how deep we want to get into into the names or can't the name secrecy. Names. Can't name names, but so yeah, it's generally below half the. So I averaged it all out, and average probably isn't the right thing. I should probably weight it. Blah blah blah. This is supposed to be illustrative, not statistically perfectly correct. Um, so across these five big time stores that are like our five biggest clients, the desktop conversion rate is five and a half percent, and the mobile conversion rate is two. And then tablets are right in the middle at 3.6. So it's more than a half drop. And it obviously wildly swings. Like we got someone whose desktop rate is 13 and a half and their mobile is 4.6 down to someone whose desktop rate is 2.4 and their mobile rate is 0.6. The other main thing that really showed up to me here is the drop off. I calculated the drop off from add to cart down to checkout, down to converted. And our rule of thumb, whenever we're talking with our clients is you always say you want it to go down by half. Yeah. So if add to cart was 10% and you told me your reach checkout rate was 5%, 
that would not be cause for concern because then your conversion rate would be two and a half percent and that'd be very good. Yeah. Well, it depends. Yeah. Um, depends on what you're selling. But looking at these numbers, generally we're seeing it's actually goes down by a third. So it's not a, well, so these are stores we set up. So yeah, super yeah. So we did a great job. Uh, give, clearly that must be it. Give myself a pat on the back. <laughs> so yeah, really you should be looking for a one third drop. So it should go from nine to six to three instead of nine to four and a half. Okay. And uh, I guess my, my other main takeaways that I am seeing here is stores that sell expensive things have a much harder time on mobile. Like there's two on here where their average order value has to be over $100 for every order. And their mobile conversion rates just get annihilated. Because I don't know, people are too scared. People don't trust their phones enough. They're too scared to buy something very expensive on their phones. I guess is my takeaway on that. I don't know. If I pull out... All right. If I'm doing work on my computer, I'm doing work. If you see me doing work on my phone, it looks like I'm screwing around. There is, I think, this mental idea... That as soon as this is serious, I better get my desktop. Mm. And it, we have seen over and over that $50 is like this pricing Rubicon that once crossed, it gets harder to sell, conversion rates go down. And to your point about you know, the average order value having an effect here, this store that's got the super high conversion rate also has the lowest average order value. And the store with the lowest conversion rate has the highest order, average order value. So it could just be like this mental block that... Oh, if I'm going to spend you know, a few hundred dollars, well, I better do it right and bust out the laptop. Or it's just that, like, well, I should wait, and it's less of an impulse purchase. Yeah. And they're cl- picking them up on, um, you know, via wi- emails. They're, down they're waiting until the they're really hunkered down and like yeah. doing things, and then that's when they buy the more expensive things. But yeah, our, the biggest converting store uh, with the highest rates, their average order value. Their well, I know their highest selling item is literally like twelve dollars. And they also have the smallest drop rate between cart between add to cart reach checkout and conversions is the drop is only on desktop is only seventeen percent at each step, which is crazy great. But again, they're only selling twelve dollar products. So it's easy for people it's harder for people to talk themselves out of buying it. The lower drop rates, I think that's interesting. The effect on average order value is interesting. The it's also in all of these Tablet sits right in the middle between mobile and desktop in terms of conversion rate. Isn't that interesting? I guess well, I guess one of the things I was looking for is like, hey, what if this was a hypothesis I had? What if the add to cart rates are the same everywhere? And then maybe even the reach checkouts are the same everywhere, but then the conversion rate is where the mobile drop happens. And that would say to me, okay, it's people that they don't they're scared about handing over their money, or they don't want to type in their credit card, or the checkout isn't optimized for mobile or something like that but that's not what we're seeing the add to cart rates on phone are much lower than they are on desktop checkout rates on phone are much lower than they are on desktop you're just starting off with a smaller amount of people willing to buy on that device and so tablet is always in the middle so part of me just thinks it's like it's just literal screen size yeah well it's harder to use the smaller device i think what you're finding is you can optimize that mobile experience all day long what are you going to do to you can't do anything to fix that person's prior crappy mobile experiences they're not adding to cart on mobile yeah it's the quality of traffic is not as good the buyer intent is not as high 
because the moment I'm on my phone, like maybe I'm sitting at a stoplight for all we know. Like we don't know what the context is there as far as my attention goes. Um, But I think people are just significantly less willing to go through making a purchase on their phone. And like, yeah, we've got dynamic checkout buttons and Apple Pay and Google Pay and PayPal and it auto fills the password. How many people actually have that set up though? I think a lot of people have Apple Pay set up. Well, and that's where we could dive well, into. Well, and th- as you're saying with that, well, phone time is screw around time. I broke out the convert on two stores. I broke out the conversion rate by browser and one store, which does millions of dollars. It's our biggest client in terms of total revenue. They are monsters. They probably do like a million dollars a month. Um, their second highest browser that they see is mobile Instagram. People are clicking, people are coming to their site from their Instagram. And the problem with that is the conversion rates on mobile Safari and mobile Chrome are two and a half percent. They're great. So let's back up a little bit. In Shopify, you could pull a report in which it will break down conversion rate by mobile versus desktop versus tablet, and then further break it down by browser on those devices. And that's where things get really interesting. Tell me what you see here. On this big gun store that is locked in, it's running turbo that we modified significantly. Um, But, I mean, it's great. We're proud of it. They're proud of it. They make millions of dollars. It is a big gun. Um, Mobile Safari, 2.45%. Mobile Chrome, 2.49%. Instagram, 1.1%. And they're driving... That's their second highest traffic source. Their second, their highest traffic source is mobile Safari. Their second highest traffic source, Instagram browser, the browser in the the WebKit browser inside Instagram. I know what this says to me. What does this say to you? This says to me that people, I mean, they they do a great job on Instagram. So people are looking at their Instagram photos and then clicking through to the store just to like check it out. But it's all drive by traffic, and they're not they're they're early in the funnel. They're top in the funnel. I mean, if you can. It, the best case scenario I feel like is that these people look at you from Instagram, they don't buy your Instagram conversion rates terrible. But if you're able to tag them and remarket them, when you, the remarketing pushes them down the funnel farther, they're going to buy, but they're probably going to end up buying on desktop in a couple of weeks. So mobile Instagram, our conversion rate drops to its lowest at approximately 1% versus if I just get someone on Chrome mobile or mobile Safari, it's two and a half percent, more than double. So this speaks to the issue on mobile that conversion rates are always lower on mobile, you know, a third to a half is quality of traffic. People are unwilling. We based on that at a cart rate, we think they're unwilling to even attempt the experience. And two, you've just got a lot of uh, drive-by traffic with lower buyer intent because that's where a lot of your top of funnel ads live. So if you're seeing a lower conversion rate on mobile, that really is not the scary, scary nightmare that it may seem initially. And it speaks to you need to have uh, a full a funnel in place where you're increasing as many touch points as you can. So I want a pop-up to try and grab an email uh, on welcome and exit. I want um, I need remarketing in place. And then ideally, I've got email marketing automation behind all of that. So if I yeah, I, I capture their attention on mobile and they don't buy. That is completely fine and expected. And then later, I pick them up on desktop where suddenly, you know, on Chrome desktop, my con- 
my conversion rate was 5% compared to that 1% on mobile Instagram. So this really is not so much the device, it's say it's the mindset and it's the it's the quality of traffic, which I get it's their mindset. Yeah, so and and just to go Instagram bad, same thing with the Facebook in-app browser on Facebook, it's 1.3%. So it's like again, that social mobile traffic is the top of the funnel and it doesn't buy and what it ends up doing is if you're only just looking at your top line mobile conversion rate, it's dragging it down. Your top line mobile conversion rate is not as bad as you think it is. It's not as good as desktop. Even in the best case scenario, it's not good as desktop, not even close, but it's not as bad as the top line number appears. Uh, and tell me, in do you remember off the top of your head in Shopify where people can go find this? All right, so you go to analytics. It's on the right side. It's like second or third from the bottom, and it says traffic by device type. And it'll just have mobile, tablet, desktop, and it'll just show you the tra the raw traffic numbers. You have to click on that. That'll take you into a bigger report. And then there's a little drop down, and then you could check off the things you want to see in that report. Now, the one problem with this is they don't give you the rates. The only rate they give you is conversion rate for those different devices. They don't give you add to cart rate or reach checkout rate. They just give you the raw numbers, and then uh, for this, for the purposes of this, I calculated the numbers myself Okay. in a spreadsheet. Uh, but, but this thing where, but you could break it down. The, one of the things you could select in the dropdown is device browser. Just check off device browser, and then there will just be a chart that has what kind of browser is it? Is it a mobile, a desktop, or a tablet? Then the name of the browser, then you can get the conversion rate right there next to it. The One, one more thing was that so one of our other stores that is just a mobile monster, their mobile traffic is probably, their mobile traffic is literally 10 times higher than their desktop traffic. And that hurts them because, like we said, mobile conversion rates are lower than desktop traffic. So if your mobile traffic is 10 times more than your desktop traffic, your conversion rate's going to look like shit. But they got the same problem in that their second highest browser is Facebook. Well, that's only half a percent. Mobile Safari, it's 1.8. It's three times as much. Their mobile, it, it's, You're it, talking about conversion rate. Their conversion rate, yeah, sorry. And also, they get pinned on Pinterest a ton. Their fourth biggest browser overall is Pinterest. And that converts at 0.04%. Nobody bought off of Pinterest. So if their fourth point highest... 0.04, brutal. So if their fourth highest browser is something literally no one buys on, it, it kills their rates. It's going to wildly skew the rate. Now, what's interesting is when you look at desktop and you start breaking out desktop by browser, on all of these sites, they have the same highest conversion rate on the same two browsers, Safari for desktop and Edge uh, in Windows. And the theory here is the reason is it is an indicator of disposable income. If I'm on desktop Safari, I am almost certainly on a MacBook and you didn't, didn't shell out for a grand. MacBook, yeah. if you're hurting for cash. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that was a good... I mean, I remember seeing analytics where they got... This was years ago, before iPhones were as ubiquitous, where they were a much higher status symbol. And they could just map out... Um, that you could... That, you know, they got free open data of, like, whether a phone on the network was an iPhone or an Android phone. And they could easily map out areas by income just by looking at the relative amounts of iPhones or Android phones 
in those areas. Hmm. I mean, there was like a easily seen correlation. Well, and we used to see on mobile, Safari always did significantly better. Yeah. Now it's not the case. Now it's not the case. They're pretty much at par. They're at parity. Yeah. If like they'll be one tenth percent better on mobile Safari, but nothing, nothing extraordinary and dramatic like these desktop numbers. So what's the what's the takeaway? What's the action item for people? I don't know. I guess the action item is one. Even if you have, even if you do the best you can on on mobile and just really dial it in and do everything you can think of, it still will never be as good as desktop. And, and you need you to be can't, you, you need can't to be break okay through that. that. There's own the customer's psychological barrier. Yeah, and uh, I guess don't worry. So and then also, if you can dive into your mobile conversion numbers, take a look at how much your traffic is coming from Instagram, Facebook, print, Pinterest, because those people just don't convert and you may be tearing your hair out, but your mobile conversion may not be as bad as you think it is. Yeah. It becomes much more revealing when you could see it by browser. Now you could also use this to try and reveal if there's a weird outlier and it could be that, Oh, oh like there's a browser specific bug. Yeah. But yeah, these are very, it, it's interesting to dive into these numbers. And I guess, I guess the other, and the other thing I learned is that we've always been saying, Every th- every step drops off by a half. We should change that to every step drops off by a third. If it's optimized. <laughs> oh, and your and your conversion rate's going to be smaller if your stuff is more expensive. Oh yeah, we knew that. <laughs> well, especially on phone. Much easier to sell a ten dollar item than a hundred dollar. Well, item. true. Uh, what app do your best stores use for returns and exchanges on Shopify? Well, I set it up just last week. Bold Returns Manager. It's super cool. Person puts in. Uh, their order ID and email address, like you link, you uh, request return in your footer, and they go to a page that says order ID and email address. Put it in, it immediately comes back with, here's your order, here's your items, check the ones you want to return, and then select the reason. You set up the reasons in the app, so it could be like uh, wrong size, need an exchange, um, item damaged, wrong item shipped, or other, and or didn't want it. And then for each of those reasons, you set who pays shipping. So if it's like damaged or wrong item sent, obviously the the merchant pays the shipping. You can have it just immediately approve the return and send them a return label. You can have it ask to require, if they say it's damaged, you can have it require uh, a photo, that kind of thing. I thought it was, it was very cool, uh, not difficult to set up at all. So bold returns manager is your answer if you're trying to do returns, streamline your returns and exchange process in Shopify. Then we had Rachel Reed, a question near and dear to my heart. How to scale creative? I really struggle to keep content fresh and cohesive. Do you have any plan you implemented for scaling content for small teams that have to outsource that kind of thing? So I can tell you the our success managing Facebook ads on Retainer for Clients is largely dependent on the content, but also how fresh it is. So can... The clients who go, hey, every month, here's a fresh set of content, go, those are the ones that are the most successful because you reduce ad fatigue and you're continuously trying new things and you develop a sense of this is the kind of thing that works right now. So I don't think it's crazy to have to create you know, fresh content for ads in, the ter- in like even just fresh photos once a month. But if you're saying, look, how do I scale it and I'm struggling with it, I think number one, it's a it's a mindset, uh, it's a skill, a muscle that you develop with practice. And number two, 
rather than set out to, I'm going to make content just as wherever you can document the work you're already doing. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is that it, it should just be ABC. Always be creating, you know, you always have your phone on you. This podcast, we're recording it now. It's recorded on our phones. Everything on the internet now is just recorded on people's phones. You just use your phone throughout the day to create more content, take photos with it, take videos with it, document the things you're doing. And that is content right there. Yeah. Would someone just going about just document your day? Yeah. Document, don't create once you've got, so that creates your initial piece of content. Then, all right, can you scale that via distribution or format? So for me, it's someone asks a question in the Facebook group. I will take that answer and that will become uh, a, I'll write that as a tweet then I'll put that into a social media app I like called Buffer. So that will go to two Facebook pages, LinkedIn, Twitter, and a Facebook group. So it gets one question and the answer turns into content posted in five places. Then it'll get stored in our podcast topics list. We'll discuss it here. It will be recorded on audio and video. Then that gets distributed to the podcast, which is syndicated, and gets posted to YouTube. And I post it in a Facebook group. All right, so now it's across several places. Then if there's a, what I should really be doing is using um, uh, Highliner to pull some segments from the podcast or just cut out 60-second highlights from each episode and then post those throughout the week. So now it's like a couple hours of activity turned into dozens of pieces of content. So you have to think at it at scale. Just this morning, I saw a new book came out. It's on Amazon. I haven't read it. It looked really cool. I almost bought it. Uh, It's called 10X Content. And it's literally was like, if you're creating content, here's how to make more content. So I will put that in the show notes. I thought that was, um, that was a good one. Hold up. We'll hear more after this quick break. Support for this podcast comes from Simpler, a new way to staff 24-7 sales and customer service on your Shopify store. It works with your existing email and chat tools, so setup is quick and easy. Simpler provides on-demand, U.S.-based customer service specialists to answer your customers' most common questions. Close more sales with Simpler by staffing your email and live chat with 24-7 Simpler specialists. Find out more at Simpler.ai. That's S-I-M-P-L-R dot A-I. And now back to the show. Hit me. While I take that note, why don't you read the next one? Well, I don't know the answer to it. It's Jacob Bradshear asks, why use Privy if we're using Clavio? Kurt, why? <laughs> I like this question so much. I turned it into 10 pieces of content. No, I went and I asked uh, Ben from Privy. I said, you know, hey, why should someone use Privy if they're already using Clavio? What's the difference? My answer you know, for me is the, uh, the WYSIWYG builder is much better in Privy. Like the Clavio pop-up builder is fine, but it is not as advanced as what Privy is doing. So if I want to build a really fancy cool one, I could do it. But here's what Ben's answer was. Like Privy should be viewed as a suite of conversion tools that sit on top of your website because you're getting a whole bunch of display formats, design tools, and targeting rules. And a couple, he gave three examples. He said, um, the bread and butter, which is really a small subset of what Privy does, is exit intent email capture, which uh, you, you could do that in Clavio. Um, it's just not going to look as fancy. Uh, cart savings displays. This one's cool. So you reduce cart abandonment by looking for pre-abandonment signals in the checkout flow, and then you could change, you could change the pop-up offer based on the value of the cart. What are pre-abandonment signals? I have no idea. <laughs> is it like, oh, their mouse is kind of 
look, their mouth is shaking back and forth. They're going, no, no, I can't buy this. <laughs> uh, start sh- yeah. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Not gonna get me website. No, uh so when we say cart abandonment email, it's really a checkout abandonment email. You don't get that email unless you got to step two of the checkout. Yeah, because they have to enter their email. So what Privy does is it waits until it sees an item is added to cart and they're in the cart and they're about to exit. And then it will fire a cart savings pop-up that's like, wait, save X whatever on your order today. And then ideally you collect their email and then it gives them the coupon or emails the coupon. But it's not firing that in the Shopify checkout though, right? No, this is the cart page. So how do, but how do they know your email? Oh, they're trying to get the email. They're trying uh, to collect the email. Yeah, all right. Or um, if they've already signed up, it, like let's say you had a welcome offer and they signed up. Okay, now it already has your email. So it just notes it down? Yeah. And is like, I will email them later. Yeah, well, it could do it. Um, you could say, hey, if we've already collected this person's email, don't fire subsequent pop-ups. Well, yeah, that's kind of cool. That makes sense. Uh, and then it could do cross-sell displays. So you could do targeted uh, add, cart, add to cart displays. Um, so essentially, you could do cross-sell offers. So like, if you bought a razor, do you want the blade to kind of thing? So it's a little bit more than a pop-up builder. I honestly thought you were talking about a Motorola razor. And I was like, where is this going? I, we all loved our Motorola razors. I never had one. No? No. My first cell phone ran Windows Phone. I did not buy a cell phone until 2007. And I had a Windows Phone with a full QWERTY keyboard and all that stuff. And then my second cell phone was the first iPhone. Did you have a beeper, Grandpa? No. No? I just didn't like cell phones. Who needs them? Dumb. They're dumb. I waited until the smartphones came. You just skipped over it? Yeah. All right. I did not have any such qualm about cell phones. I had that T9 texting down. Winston Lovas asks, is there a step-by-step process used to test product pages to optimize for conversions? Do you test a certain period of time or impressions before making a decision? Right now I'm using heat maps on Hotjar. I was wondering if you had any other best practices and suggestions. Okay. So the two tools I use here are Hotjar for heat mapping, but also the polls in Hotjar is really my favorite thing. So I'll run it on just the product page and say, if you didn't, on exit, you fire up a question that says, if you didn't uh, make a purchase today, why not? And that is utterly revealing as to people's motivations. Because you hear for people who buy from you. You're not hearing for the people who don't buy from you. This is a great way to do it. Um, and often answering those objections, that those common objections that keep coming up. Maybe they're complaining about price. Okay, that means you didn't do a good job of, of explaining the value, or maybe you should offer financing or both. And you'll, there's stuff you probably didn't think of, like, you know, I just, I'm not sure what the dimensions are. Okay, include a size guide. Yeah. Include some frame point of reference, like put it next to a quarter, whatever it is. I don't know. Uh, but uh, we'll also use uh, Hotjar to heat map the page. Ideally, you want 2,000 views in it, not so much uh, time, but uh, just total quantity of sessions. And if it's a big site, you'll get that in a day. You know, in other sites, that might take a couple weeks. I, but I think he's asking for, after you make a change, what is the correct amount of time to decide whether that change was good or not? Well, that sounds more like a split testing question. That is a split testing question, In which case, I think. use Google Optimize. It's free. It's awesome. But it gives you a confidence interval. So it's not based on timers. It's based on sessions, not time. But it will make the call for you and go, hey, like, or since it's got the confidence interval, you can look at it and go, all right, I've got faith that this is true. If the question is, I made a change on my product page, 
how long should I wait to see whether that change was good or not? You're never going to know really because the inputs are different and constantly changing. Do you have a sale? Is your, did your, were your Facebook ads that week really good? What time of year is it? What time of year is it? Like, did Trump say something crazy on Twitter? Yeah. That affects a stunning number of stores. It does because it affects the markets. And I, I mean, we had a, we had an old client that, but we could see their weekly revenue numbers change depending on how the market was doing. That like was if the mar- fabulous. If the market was crap, I was like, oh, she's going to have crap numbers this week. And it was always true. Um, so you can't just Google, Google optimize and split testing is really the real true way to see if changes like that work because your inputs are fluctuating and changing so much. It's just going to get lost in the noise. And you're probably making changes on other spots too. And that's affecting the whole flow. Uh, yeah, it, it's definitely a squishy, subjective art, I mean, not yeah, a science. It, yeah, it's pretty much just like, point. well, that makes me feel, you know, and then the you do it, and then your conversions are down th- for three days, the three days following, and you're like, oh, no, that must have broke it. No. It's, and really, it's just recency bias. Yeah, you know, it didn't We fall it. victim to this all the time. Like, a thing entirely unrelated to us breaks the site, and it's, well, whatever the last change you did, conversions dropped. It's like, well, no, it's a holiday weekend, you know. Yeah, but it's Labor recency Day. Bias no one's always, Everyone's out. Always gets whatever the last change we made gets blamed. So I would try and be aware of that cognitive bias. I hope that answered the question or at least gave you some substarting point there. JJ Marcus asks, how do you suggest you make your business stand apart from others in a saturated market? Content? C- yes. Funny, good content? I think Interesting the, content? I think start with sharing your story yeah you. get out from behind the scenes give them that behind the scenes content share you share your story be your own brand evangelist number one um you could also try going the route of educational content like write hire somebody to create the ultimate guide to buying x and it's like three thousand words and has video and photos and all right now you've got like a real educational content piece so i think the answer is either Education, your story, or both. How did you give that answer without mentioning your favorite store? Chubbies? Yes. Because all they do is sell shorts. I was shorts. thinking about Chubbies. They just sell shorts. That's all they do. You yeah. could buy those Chubby shorts at 20 other stores that look exactly like that. But why does Chubbies make so much money? Because the, the storytelling behind it is phenomenal. Exactly. Well, there was that great, um, I forgot the name of that study, but the guy, the journalist who bought... Uh, what he bought? Oh, that eBay thing. You know, like two hundred items on eBay for a dollar each, and they're just nonsense items like a motel key, a rubber duck. Then he hired a or got volunteers. I don't know uh, a copywriter to write a story product description for each individual item. Then resold them all at uh, I think it was like an eight x profit. Oh, that's crazy! And the only thing that changed was the items had stories attached to them now. So I think we know empirically the answer is your story. Mary Geraldine asks, how do you choose which apps make the cut and which don't? There's so many choices and too many start to interfere with each other and slow down the website. Uh, ask yourself if you need it. There, don't install an app if it sounds cool. That's not a, that's not a good valid reason where you're like, that sounds yeah. cool. Number no. one, just don't start with installing it. Yeah, Avoid shiny toy syndrome. Yeah, just being like, oh, I have this painter problem with my store that's really holding me back. I wonder if there's an app that fixes that. That should be the starting point. Don't just go looking for apps. That's my thoughts. 
Well, yeah. And, and a it, couple weeks ago, we talked about it. We were like, what are the four apps you need to have? And that the, was a good thought exercise. And then the rest you don't really need. The only thing that was annoying about that thought exercise is the number of people who replied to the tweet version of it. Ugh. And we're like, I can't believe you didn't include thing that's bespoke to my business because I'm terribly myopic. Yeah. And the what, uh, like Metafields. How many people are actually using Metafields in their Shopify store? A minority. But there were uh, at least two people who were shocked, shocked that I did not include Metafields as like that was one of the five required apps. Hardly. Yeah. Uh, well, so, to, I mean, I think, yeah, number one is, oh my, fight the urge. Don't install apps if you could avoid it unless they solve a pain or problem. Like the first one was, hey, how do you deal with returns and exchanges? All right, if returns and exchanges are eating up a bunch of your time or customer support issue, then yeah, a returns manager is going to save you time, provide a better experience. So find one and install it. So uh, the other solution, and no matter what, there's going to be apps where you're like, that's cool, too cool not to try, I got to try it. Periodically audit your apps, maybe once a quarter. Set it, put it in your calendar. Set a reminder in your phone every 90 days. Go through your apps and go, what am I even using this for? Because oftentimes when we do a project, people will say, hey, can you help audit my apps? And they'll have like 40 apps installed. And I'll just talk it through with them on the phone. And you'd be surprised the number of apps. They go, I really don't know what that does. And they don't know. It's like, why'd you install it? It's like it was solved some issue at the time. And we don't even, it's like, is it even running? So I would say review them periodically and ask yourself, what is this doing for my business? And if it's not solving a pain or problem, okay, then it better be increasing revenue. And for that, look at, uh, it should have ideally some reporting metrics in there. But if not, see if, like use Google Optimize, split test that widget. It's easy, you can hide widgets with Google Optimize. Um, or just turn the thing off for a couple weeks and see if anything happened. I think that would be the, the approach I take to it. Apps are bad. <laughs> we have four apps. You should install those, though. Yeah, no. Our, our apps are fine. Our apps are good. Yeah, sponsors apps, those are fine, too. Oh, yeah, everything. Yeah, both. The other apps, though, those are evil. Listen, if you install, I'm not, I'm not making any promises here, but I heard that if you install a Bold app, Jay Myers, the CEO of Bold, will come to your house and thank you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Wow. They're doing that now. Okay. It's like, hey, no, if you donate money to Elizabeth Warren, she might just call you and talk to you about stuff. Yeah. You install a Bold app, Jay Myers might come to your house. Okay. Yeah, let's go on record with that. <laughs> Jay is very, he is nice by Canadian standards. He's the nicest. Which nice, is as nice as you can get. He's one of the nicest dudes I've ever met. Oh, for sure. Uh, Tom Humphreys says, ways to improve sign-up forms by using data. I use MailChimp's built-in pop-up form. Not sure if there's a way to see what percent of people actually sign up. If I knew that, I could try different versions of pop-up to optimize it. Follow-up question, top headline ideas for pop-ups apart from would you like 10% off? I don't know okay. What? That sounds like a damn good headline to me. Yeah. I would like 10% off. Like, yeah, I do. <laughs> no. I don't want to save money. Yeah, people are... There's a reason you see that pop-up offer a lot. Don't try to get too cute with it. You're just Clarity like, oh, trumps. So, I can't, well, it's just offering money, people a coupon. That's just like cheating. I got to find like a better way to do it. It's not cheating. It works. Just do the thing that works. But not every hard? brand wants to get into discounting. Eh, they should. <laughs> well, it's because it's an easy thing to offer, too. Like, otherwise, I have to offer something educational. And again, like, like pulling teeth to get people to do copywriting. I ref I'm not familiar with MailChimp, but I refuse to believe that they can't give you 
opt-in rate percentages. Yeah. Like, just email their support and ask. And if they say no, then stop using MailChimp, because that is so basic. You need, you need stats to be able to know if this thing is working or not. Yeah, if they tell you that you're just, like, trapped in 2007 looking for analytics, like, don't listen to them anymore. No, I would not. Uh, run screaming from that page. So I would look at... Like, you need to be able to look at opt-in rate. And that's how, number one, you want to see that opt-in rate. And then ideally, use uh, tr- see if you could figure out a conversion rate on that pop-up as well. And that's where, like, the fancier pop-up builders can do that. They could tell you what the conversion or acceptance rate is. Um, and then you could test different offers that way. I can tell you the most successful uh, opt-ins we do involve start with a micro-commitment. So you say, hey... Would you like to save? Would you like 10% off today? Yes, no. You don't just do the email address. So if you can get them to say yes, then you ask them, all right, here's the catch. I need your email address. And then they enter their email address. That will have a significantly higher opt in rate. Um, I'm running that exact setup, that offer on uh, a couple stores right now. And they are consistently doing 10% opt in rate, which is extraordinary. Um, the other thing to consider is quality of traffic or quality of the opt-ins. So like those spin to win, those uh, will often do a high opt-in rate as well, but the quality of the email is not good. So, those, so, but it, so those people, those people don't react to the email is what you're saying? Often to, it could be a fake email. So you want to make sure you have double opt-in turned on um, or it's just like, it's just drive by. There is a cost to getting more people into the email. Is they're just they're less engaged and interested. They just want it was. I just wanted to see if I'd get something for free. Whereas if you give them the ten percent off coupon, they're using that dang coupon. Hopefully. Well, and you and the way you do that is it has give the give the coupon code an expiration because then you could email them multiple times, being like that code's about to expire. You better buy something and, and really yeah. push them into buying something. That's the other thing with a welcome pop up. You need a welcome series to back it up where you remind them of the coupon. You've got, you're creating that urgency, but then you're also telling your story and you're introducing them to the brand, the team, the product, why they should buy, that kind of thing. Um, and when I talked to people at Clavio Boston, so many, I said, what's your favorite flow? A lot of people were like, welcome series. That's the one that makes the money. Uh, all right, final question. We got a Black Friday question. Kim Otterburn says, any outside the box Black Friday promotion ideas? I'm thinking perhaps 15% discount, then we donate 5% to a homeless charity, uh, and they do homeware to keep it appropriate to their brand. Have you seen any other cool initiatives other than just a single discount? Yes. So single discount, tried and true, it works. You do, you know, you aren't sure what to do, just run store-wide, X percent off, Black Friday. You don't have to complicate it if you don't want to. If you want to get fancy, two things I like. Uh, free gift with purchase. Oh, yeah. That one always works, so you can use... Um, Shopify scripts. Shopify scripts and a theme customization to do it. If you're not on Plus, you could use um, Ultimate Special Offers, that kind of thing to do it. The other one I like, and I th- this would either involve a series of coupon codes or ideally Shopify scripts, is tiered discounts. Spend a hundred, spend fifty dollars, get ten percent off. Spend a hundred dollars, get fifteen percent off. Spend two hundred dollars, get twenty percent off. Ah, so now we've got three discounts tied to spending, and you really want to dial this thing in. You'd put a little bit of liquid logic in the cart. So it says, congrats, you saved 10% on your order. You're only $40 away from saving 15%. Yeah. Whoa! And then, you, so you nudge them along and the, through this discount ladder. Yeah, and you need Shopify scripts to do that. And it's super worth it, though. And it pays off, but you need scripts and plus to do that. But the, um, 
the cart liquid for that is really easy. That can be knocked out quickly. Yeah, like 15 minutes to get that to That's work in the cart. We've already got the code but for it, that. But it's super worthwhile to do it. The donations, like we donate, whatever, those always smell scammy to me. Like, I don't really think you're doing that. No. I think you're just keeping the money. And it doesn't help by the fact that we've talked to multiple potential clients that did that, that made that a big part of their marketing and their outward facing stuff. And to the man, they were all dicks. <laughs> like they all were like, well, but I, I donate to all those charities. It's like, you're a dick. Like they've always been dicks to us. People that push how good they are with that. I have noticed that especially uh, doing app support, the people where the primary focus and message is charity are always so rude. Yeah. Like that's very bizarre. And I've heard other Shopify partners say this too. And I can't imagine what it is that does that. It, I find it consistently surprising and disheartening. I did, we did once uh, for a brand split test the presence of that charity message. Oh, yeah, we did. It made no difference. Made no difference. No Nobody one, cared. No one cares. They're there to buy a thing. They're not there to be like, oh, well, I wasn't going to buy this, but since you might give four bucks to a homeless shelter, I'm not even sure if you're going to. It depends on the audience. Because there, I mean, there was another store. Uh, it was a clothing store. They donated to uh, a women's shelter. And when we did customer surveys, that came up as like one of the number, it was like the number two reason people bought. They're like, I, because it alleviates their guilt about spending the money. So it really depends on, I mean, it's just like selling anything else. What you're donating to is an offer. So does that, is that a compelling offer for that audience at that time? And there's really no way of knowing. I think the, the issue people get into with cause marketing is they assume it's like icing on the cake. If I just donate 5% of my profit, then hopefully people will spend more money. It's not necessarily the case. Well, and I, th I think the consumers have gotten burned before. Like they know that every freaking month the NFL is doing some different thing. That's all it's really doing is just lining various NFL executives' pockets. Like that's, that money's not going to actually help people. So yeah, I, like they know that that's happening in other places, so it's probably making people jaded in general. So I think like with cause marketing, I mean, you have to you got to put your money where your mouth is and really back up. I mean, the if message. you could tell the story, I mean, if it, I mean, the if women, it's part of your story, yeah. yeah one, especially like the women's shelter one. I mean, there's documentation like of this women's shelter, and it's like you make it part of your content marketing. It's like here is the place, here are the people they help, like they are for real. I and that's am, what they did. It was I part am, of the welcome series. Yeah, I am really doing this. Like that's different than just oh, now the product page has a banner on it saying. Trust me, I'm going to give some money to this place if you buy. Bullshit. You're right. That is the difference. Like, a badge on a site doesn't mean anything. The story is what is going to be compelling. Yeah. Cool. Uh, do, are there any Black Friday sales you're looking out for? Uh, any items you need? No. Well, you know, The Outer Worlds is coming out. Super into that game that comes out on Friday. It's made by the guy Obsidian, one of my top. Game developers, they made the original Fallouts, Fallout New Vegas, love the Fallout series. So very excited for that game. Uh, other than that, I'm just mad that Comcast took Turner Classic Movies off my Comcast tier. Which really, is that like the, whole, the sole thing keeping you from cord cutting? Yes. The sole thing keeping me from cord cutting is Turner Classic Movies. Well, and I guess, I don't know. I like flipping around sometimes, but... And the sole reason I am on the tier I'm on is because it was the cheapest tier that had Turner Classic Movies. It's also the Hispanic tier, so I have a lot of Spanish channels. <laughs> uh, sure, that's very useful for you. Yeah, I love it. 
But so then they moved it and it's not a, it's not a higher tier. It's its own separate package of like 12 channels that they're like, well, if you want any of these 12 channels, you got to pay us an extra either 10 to 20 bucks a month. So it's like, I kind of feel like I have to call them and then downgrade my tier and then buy the add-on package so the price ends up being the same. But well, then they get you back in the contract, and it's a whole... Yeah, and obviously I'm reticent to do that, so I'm just like, I've been stewing for like a week without any TCM, which is I the worst the cord, of both worlds. And I'm just using over, over-the-air over antenna and streaming, and I have I got no regrets. Yeah, I mean, the Criterion uh, started their own streaming service, but like all the Criterion movies are, I think, I'm not sure of this, but I think a lot of the... Criterion content is all like extremely good movies, whereas I just want to turn on some old thing and have it wash over me, and it's like a weird old musical from like 1937 that's not going to be on Criterion, but it's like I wouldn't want to watch that. See, when I'm in one of those moods, I, that's where I fire up Tubi. Uh, Pluto. Pluto's good too. Pluto's great. Pluto and two. I've watched a lot of MTV Cribs on Pluto. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm all up on what T Pain's house looked like ten years ago. <laughs> ten years ago. Yeah, probably more than that. Fifteen. Yeah. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, I asked Santa for an air fryer was my thing. Oh, they're but. good. Oh, my wife makes, my wife Emily, she makes spicy chicken sandwiches in the air fryer. They are the best thing in the world. I well, love them. Well, our air fryer broke, and it turned the issue with an air fryer, you've got that tiny basket. There's a thing called a convection toaster oven. It's oh, yeah. a big air fryer. Yeah. It works the same way, but without the limitation. So I asked Santa for a convection toaster oven, really. Really getting your list in early. Yes. Well, it's always a hassle every year. It's right. It's my mother-in-law. It's like, all right, what do you guys? What's everybody want for Christmas this year? And then it's like, well, I'm an adult. It's hard to come up with Christmas ideas, Christmas gift ideas for yourself. I always tell my mom what Randy Moss said: straight cash, homie. <laughs> That's very. Uh, I got nothing. Uh, anyway, if you want to submit a topic request or a question, we ask every two weeks in our Facebook group. Just search the unofficial Shopify podcast. Join our Insiders Club on Facebook. And I look for my, my happy face on a, a thread. I would be happy to answer your question in our next episode. And if you haven't yet, leave a review. I'm addicted to them. I need reviews to live. I think you're a good boy. Oh, thank you. Oh, I needed that affirmation. <laughs> All right, see you guys. Bye. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flux. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles in Turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways, thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. 
If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.